not that tall. <laughs> I wish. Well, good morning, guys. It's just awesome to be here. I want to thank you guys for, for having me uh, and my family. Um, we've been on the road for a year just preaching at different congregations of Josh Jen. And today is actually the first time that I, that I have my, my kids with me as well. So I have Gareth with me and Lauren and then my granddaughter Ruth. And uh, yeah, it's just awesome to be part of what you guys have experienced this morning. I mean, I, I've just been so blessed sitting there and just experiencing the tangible presence of God. So, so I want to thank you for allowing us to be part of what you're experiencing today. Somebody else wants to bring a word. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I just really want to commend the, the leadership of the church for, for what you're doing here. Uh, I, know, I know the first thing leaders do is say, no, it's not us, it's God. But there's a grace of God on your lives for what you're doing. And I just want to acknowledge you guys for what you, you're doing here. Um, with all the words that came this morning, the scripture comes to mind. You know, there's, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And I believe God wants to, to set some records straight this morning. So I'm going to speak on a portion of that love. Uh, the love of God is such a big topic that we will not be able to cover that in one morning. So I'm going to speak on a small part of that love. And we're going to refer to it as redemptive love, redeeming love. And for that, we're going to turn to the, in the scripture to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. And I'll quickly give you a background because I don't think this is the scripture that you normally read just after breakfast on a Monday morning. So I'll just give you a quick background to, to where we fall into. And we find Hosea, the name Hosea comes from the same verb as Joshua and even Jesus. So Hosea is a form of a deliverer. One, a form of a savior. That's the picture that he comes as. And we find that God gives him a very interesting instruction. God says to him that he needs to go marry a woman, a very specific woman. Now, I'm going to read that in, in verse 2. It says, when the, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Now, I, I, I'm glad it's up there because some people find it difficult to use words like that in the church. But, but God, is, God is God, and, and we need to say what he's saying. So, go find yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. And land, uh, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So, you get the picture. It's been used three times already, so there's a problem here. Um, so he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And we're going to read a couple other scriptures, but the picture here is, and I think, I think sometimes we, we get the picture that, that 
this woman, Gomer, was kind of promiscuous before he chose her. But if we look at how carefully the scripture has been written, it's actually that he, he married this, this woman and then she becomes unfaithful. So often people have actually referred to Gomer as a prostitute. But that's something that happened after he was married to her. So he picks this woman, marries her, knowing that she will become unfaithful. Knowing that she will land up giving her life to prostitution. Knowing that he will have to buy her back. And God gave such a stark picture for, for his people because that was exactly what they were doing. They would be loved by God and then they would become unfaithful. And then they would go and they would prostitute themselves at the altars of Baal. And then they would get redeemed again, they would get loved again, and they would come back to God and then they would go back to doing acts at the, at, at the altars of Baal. Now, if you think that is uh, a very harsh topic to talk about, we have to talk about that because God's people still does the same today. We can have great worship times, we can have great times in our prayer meetings, but if, we, if we're not careful, the sinful nature in us actually has the tendency to want to go back to where we've been before. And there's a saying that my mom used to use, and so it's an old saying, because I'm 57 already, so that must have been an old saying. Um, she used to say, a stitch in time saves nine. Meaning that if you catch, she used to be a seamstress, and if you catch a stitch that's coming loose, and, and you attend to it, if it's unraveling and you fix it before it really pulls out, you actually save yourself a lot of work. Because once it starts pulling out, it unravels. And then you've got to do the whole seam over again. And I think God in this day and age that we're in, and we've had a stunning time yesterday at the gathering, and we were all worshiping, and we were all praising God, and God saying, but, but still pay attention that there might be a stitch that's coming loose. And if that comes loose, we actually... Uh, run the, the, the risk of going back into the old uh, way of living. So God gives us this picture today to warn us against a lifestyle that God is not happy with amongst these people. It's a harsh word, but let me, maybe this will help you uh, settle. There's still some harsher words coming, so this is not so, so bad. Okay. <laughs> so settle your hearts. Fasten your seatbelts because we're about to lift off. And I, in the prayer meetings, uh, one of the ladies brought a word that she believed that we need our hearts to be fully surrendered to God. And that's exactly the picture I had. Hearts fully surrendered, allowing God to actually uh, plow up the fallow ground, and that word came through so that the seed can fall into the ground and grow up and bear much fruit. But it starts with hearts that surrendered to God. And it starts with hearts that have the ability to have redeeming love towards others. You see, the fact that we have been redeemed, that's amazing. The fact that Jesus has loved us with an everlasting love, a love that has set us free and we have been bought and a price has been paid for us, that's amazing. 
But now he expects us to reflect that light of the world. We, we are the light of the world, and we need to shine his light into the world. He now expects us to take what we've learned from his redeeming love and share that redeeming love with others. There are people in here this morning, there are people in this gathering this morning, and they do not know, or it's been a while since they have been loved with redeeming love. There are people in this, in this gathering this morning that in their silence, they are screaming out just to be loved. And perfect love scatters or pushes away fear. God has given us fear as a gift. That's not my notes. That wasn't part of my sermon. But, but please remember, God has given us fear as a gift to save us from danger. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. And there's a big difference in the two. And we need to stand up and deal with it when it's a spirit of fear. Normal fear, when you see a dog, when I see a dog, I can jump two stories high. Right? Uh, then I quote that scripture where some people say, no, but uh, in Afrikaans, I like the way it says in Afrikaans, uh, uh, these two guys were walking back. They just got saved, and they're walking in the community. So it happened to be two colored guys. Um, so they're walking back in the community, and they're going home after the prayer meeting, and, and there's this gang that approaches them. And the one actually quotes the scripture and said, Met my God, loop ek a bende storm. And the other one said, uh-uh, Met my God, spring ek oor a meer. <laughs> And that's me. <laughs> Both is faith, hey? Both is faith. Um, but yeah, so today, I really just want to, to hone in on this redemptive love. Because there are people here that need to, to physically feel the arms of Jesus around them. And that's your arms. They need to physically look into the eyes of Jesus. And that's your eyes. They need to feel loved by you and me. And I hope that as we go through the scripture in Hosea, that God will break that open in your life. So Hosea has got to marry this woman who's going to commit adultery. He needs to choose to love somebody who's broken. And I believe that we are called to that today. We are, choose, we are chosen to love the broken. And if God tells you beforehand she's going to commit adultery, that means that we, we are chosen to love those who are going to disappoint us. God forewarned him and said, she will disappoint you, but you will love her with everything that you have. It speaks of total commitment towards even those that disappoint us. Often we love those who are committed. Often we love those who are here every Sunday, who, who plays their part, and then there's that one who comes and disappears. And they come and they disappear, and we feel that we almost have the right to judge them, and they don't deserve our love. And God's saying, love Gomer, she's going to disappoint you. But you need to be totally committed to her. So you might know a friend 
you might have invited that friend to a, a, a comms meeting and they said yes and they didn't come. And then you invited them again and they said yes and they didn't come and, and you invited them again and you ask yourself the question this morning, so how many times must I still love this person? And God's saying, just one more time. When, when that dis person disappoints you again, it's one more time again. See, God has, has given us amazing love. His redeeming love for us is there every day. It's not just the moment that we got saved. Every day. Every day we fail Him. And every day He loves us. And I believe that as Andrew spoke to us yesterday about going out and reaching the lost, it starts with having the love for the lost in our hearts. We need to love the lost. Otherwise, we'll never go out and seek the lost. So, it's about responding to the call. You see, I believe that if, if Hosea, who has never been married before, now he's got to marry a woman who is going to uh, commit adultery. I mean, imagine, imagine you, you, you getting ready to get married, and God says, I'm, I'm going to choose the girl for you. I mean, I see the young men in front here, and I'm like, okay, God's going to choose a girl for you. And it's not that cool chick that you're thinking of. It's, it's actually Goma. And you're going to go, what? But God says, no, that's part of your calling, to love somebody who's broken. Do you know how many broken people are there in this world? We, we counsel people a lot who, who, who are broken. And, and sometimes life has thrown people horrible curveballs. And then you meet, meet that person, and God actually intends for you to marry that person. And then you find out about their brokenness, and then you break the relationship. And you don't realize that God has called you to love them out of their brokenness. Young guys, young girls, I want you to understand that God is in control who you marry. I know that all girls want to be married to a hunk like this. But, <laughs> but you can't. You can't. I'm taken. He said that. He, uh, she's taken. <laughs> um, but don't look at the package. Ask God, ask God who your partner is going to be. Ask God. Because God has got a purpose even in that. I promise you that I wouldn't be able today be, uh, be doing today what I'm doing if I didn't marry the right woman. It's, it's because of her that I can do what I'm doing. I think, I think that I I've, I've, would have driven many other women nuts if, if I had to be married to somebody else. But God put the right two people together. Actually, somebody gave me a prophetic picture once, and he said he saw me standing on one of these tables that rotate, like we have the cars on display. And he said, as I turned around, there was my whole back, from my head down to my toes, were hollowed out in the shape of Azalea. And she fitted in perfectly into that. And that enabled me to do what I'm doing for God. So, guys, as much as you can, as, as God can uh, uh, plan and purpose for you to marry the right person, if you choose in your flesh and you marry the wrong person, you're going to find it hard to live in everything that God has for you. So, please, allow God to show you, as God showed Hosea who to marry. I didn't intend this to be a marriage seminar, but, in, but 
as, as, as God, allow God to show you who you should marry. And when he shows you Gomer, don't question God. Don't question God. Let's learn, even before we marry people, let's learn to have redemptive love for everyone, to love people out of their misery. Often we just want to counsel them out of that. But God is calling us to love people out of their brokenness. Sometimes the bride that God chooses for us is unattractive, like Omar. But that's when we look through the eyes of the flesh. But if we can see what God has for that person in their restored state, we will stand amazed. Just as I'm speaking, God's dropping a word in my heart. And when he does that, I have to say it. Can I ask you, if you have been taking relationships lightly, just in a relationship, out of a relationship, in, out, I want to ask you, in the name of Jesus, please refrain from doing that. Because you're contributing to the brokenness of people. Make a decision today. Young man, young woman, you make a decision before God today not to contribute to the brokenness of somebody else. I believe as much as we sensed earlier that we were in a God moment, this is a God moment. Before God, we need to come and say, I surrender, Lord. If I have... If I have broken somebody else's life, if, I, if I've caused brokenness, please forgive me. And I believe God forgives. Immediately you're forgiven. But then you make a decision that you will not further contribute towards brokenness in other people's lives. God, God is putting his finger on his bride. And he's bringing his bride to a place where she's ready to meet the groom. And we have a role to play in that, to getting the bride ready. As much as we have to go out and get those who are unsaved, we're also part of preparing the bride for the coming of the bridegroom. So let's look at the scripture in chapter 3, where now he's been married to her. He had a son by her, and it was his son. If I just, I'll just quickly say, uh, she went, so he went into Gomer, the daughter of Debliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. That was in the first section. After that, she has more children, but the Bible doesn't say that it's Isaiah's children. It's a daughter, a son. And that's proof of her unfaithfulness. And, and God wants to deal with, in our hearts this morning, uh, with unfaithfulness. Maybe you've given birth to something. That was not of God. I think we had that word earlier. Yeah. Gomer gave birth to children that was not Hosea's children. And God called them no mercy. And not my people. Imagine that's your name. You have to, God tells you, give your daughter's name no mercy. Give your son's name not my people. But God has got the way of... of Highlighting and exposing sin and unfaithfulness. And I'm asking you today to search your heart to see if you have given birth to something that is actually not of God. 
So after she has done that, in verse 3, verse 1, it says, God speaks now to Isaiah again, because she has not only committed adultery, she has given her life, she has gone and she's become a prostitute at the altars of Baal. And God says to her, to, to Isaiah, go again. Go again. Go again. No matter, Hosea, doesn't matter how disappointed you are. Imagine, imagine you, Hosea, and this is happening to you. It's God saying, doesn't matter how disappointed you are, go again. You see, that's the thing about redemptive love. If you have redemptive love inside of you, if that is what's coming out of you, you will go again and again and again. It doesn't matter how disappointed you are, you will go again. And search those who God wants to bring in. Go again and not only recall her. I mean, when, when Ford makes a mistake, or should I use Land Rover? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, um, but if Ford make, makes a mistake in, on one of their cars, they do a recall. And they fix that. This is not a recall. He, say, he, he doesn't say to Isaiah, just take her back and so things can look good. He says... Love her. Go again and love a woman who, love, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. So God is not asking us just to make things look right. But when somebody has disappointed us, when somebody has backslidden, when somebody like the prodigal son has actually sat among the pigs and longed to eat what the pigs eat, God says go again and love them. Draw them back in and love them like you've never loved them before. This portion of scripture, and I might not get to the rest, but, but I feel this is something as I sat here that God just broke open to me and said, you need to speak about this, being loved by another man. And I'm not now speaking about the physical act of love. I believe that Something that one of those stitches where I said a stitch in time saves nine, a stitch that is going loose again in the local church or in the church per se, is this thing that happened in Galatia where people, where people got saved and they were following the, the teachings of the apostles and then some bright spark thought that they need to bring the law back into the church. And Paul actually calls that witchcraft. And when he explains what it is, he actually says that a woman can't marry another, um, another man if the, the man that she's married to is still alive. But when he dies, she can, she's then free to marry another man. And what he's talking about, he's talking about love, he's talking about law and grace. So you cannot, you cannot serve God, you cannot marry the new covenant, be married in the new covenant, if, you, if, you, if the law is still alive in your life. And for some other reason, people are part of the new covenant, they are born again, Jesus is actually center in their lives, and then they feel the need to reach out back and bring some of the law back into their lives. And God is warning us, as the church in general, that that is witchcraft. Some of it starts subtly 
we want to, we use, we use phrases and we, uh, we, 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 we do stuff that, that sounds great and we, and we try and almost, uh, I call it Israelititis. It's a, it's a disease. It's a disease, right? And we don't realize that we have been infected with Israelitis. When we start wanting to be Israel, Israel is loved by God. And God has got a very special plan for Israel. But he's got a different plan for you. And he, he, you can't be God to Israel now. God's going to do exactly, he's going to restore them the way he, he's going to restore them. But he's asking you to be loved and to be in covenant with Jesus. That's where our loyalty lies. In covenant with Jesus. And I want to say this, that covenant does not have an out clause. Covenant, the only way you get out of covenant is when you die. Covenant does not have a feelings clause. You can't get out of covenant just because you don't like it anymore. Just because Gomer has gone and she's been at the altar of Baal. You can't get out of covenant. And we're in covenant with Jesus. We're in the new covenant. And therefore, I think God is warning us this morning that if you have been deceived, because there is no other word, if you have been deceived, even, even if it's subtle deception, if you have been deceived to, to try and bring law back into where God has given grace, then Paul asks you, who has bewitched you? That is how serious this is. And God has just, as I sat there, God has just dropped this and said, you've got to make this clear. Because we're a bunch of people here that love the Lord. We worship together. But if a friend, if somebody, if a program that you've watched, a book that you've read, has introduced something else, other than the gospel that we, are, that we read about in the Bible. Paul says, if, if anybody preach a gospel other than what we give you, let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. There's only one gospel. And it's the one that Jesus Christ himself has given to us. And this morning, God is calling us to reflect Jesus' redemptive love in our hearts towards others. This is a long-term thing. It's not a, a okay, for 10 minutes uh, or a year or two, we're going to serve God in this covenant. It's a long-term thing. Because when, when Hosea made covenant, when he married Gomer, he made covenant with Gomer. And she bore him a son. They were in it for the long haul. And so God is expecting us, as we are in covenant with him, to bear fruit. To give birth to sons and daughters that will fill this earth, that will represent him, that will carry his name, and that he doesn't have to step in and call them no mercy and not my people. So we've been called to accommodate the seed that God is giving this morning in our lives. And even if our lives, if our hearts were hard ground this morning, then God is breaking it up. We had, we had that word as well, that God is breaking up that hard ground. And that we will receive 
this seed so that we can bear sons and daughters that carry the blessing of God. So what's the result of redemptive love? I'm going to just read a couple of scriptures because I see there's something wrong with your clock. It's just went downhill and just picked up speed. (laughs) So I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures to show you what redemptive love, when you express your love to others and, and they are redeemed for Christ, what love does to them. Psalm 31 verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. When people are loved with the real love of God, through us, it builds trust. It it helps them see the faithfulness of God. When people become hopeless, as one of the ladies expressed it, when you become hopeless... The best thing you can show them is the love of God because that builds trust. The second scripture is Psalm 71, verse 23. It says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. When people have experienced redemptive love, then praise and worship follows. If you're battling If a friend comes to you and they say, I'm battling to worship, what they're saying is, please love me well. Redemptive love, when people are experiencing a revelation, when they experience that love, leads people to worship God. And that's what we are called to. We're not called to flirt in and out of physical relationships. That causes brokenness. But when we love with redemptive love, it brings praise and worship. Third one is Isaiah 43, verse 1. It says, But now, thus says the Lord, You created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Redemptive love brings confidence in sonship. When people come to you and they say, I'm not sure where I fit in. I'm not sure where I belong. Love them well. Sometimes you don't have the answer. Sometimes friends, when you're young guys, some friends come to you and they, and they express an emotion. And you don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. Just love them with redemptive love. That kind of love does not judge. That kind of love does not criticize. That kind of love points to Jesus. The fourth one, Isaiah 44, verse 22. It says, but now thus is, okay, I've blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like the mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Redemptive love leads people to a place of total forgiveness. The reason why people battle to enter the presence of God is because they're not sure if they're forgiven. Because God is so holy. God is so, I don't know how to explain it, because He's that holy, white, hot, holy. If something's very hot, you think it's red, but when it gets really, really hot, it goes white. White, hot, holy. That's how holy God is. 
And when people are aware of sin in their lives and they're not sure if they're truly forgiven, they battle to come into the presence of God. And those are the words that our ears need to be open to. Sometimes we only wait for somebody to say, this is wrong with me. But the problem is, they are so caught in that sin at the moment that they cannot make the diagnosis about what's wrong. So we have to listen to the hints that comes along. When somebody battles to worship God, to get intimate with God, it's because they don't truly believe that they are totally forgiven. And redemptive love helps people understand that when you have repented of your sin, God has forgiven you and removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. So just one final point. When we love people to the place where they have their trust restored, where they worship God, where they have their confidence in sonship restored, where they understand total forgiveness, we have brought them to this place in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, where God now can restore them. And I just love this, the love of God. Because now God, who has spoken so harshly and spoken about no mercy and not my son, God says in verse 16, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of Baal from her mouth. And I'm just going to quickly explain that as I land this. You see, the word husband in, in Hebrew and the word Baal were very close to one another. And, and you, could, you could, by referring to Baal, you could have meant husband. And, the, and that similarity caused that people started sliding away from the true meaning and they would still speak about Baal. And the other person in their company would not realize, but they've drifted off. Remember I spoke about this Israelitis? It does a similar thing. Because you still talk about God. But then you want to add a special holy sound. And you start speaking in another language. Because you think that's going to make you sound holier. Or more spiritual. God says, No. I just want you to call me my husband. I won't tell you what my wife calls me because it's not biblical. <laughs> but I know it means my husband. God, God wants us, when we refer to him, to use words that we don't use for other things. The one of the most difficult things is the word awesome. So my question is, if you call chocolate cake awesome, what do you call God? Oh, Lord, we praise you. You're my chocolate cake. And so we, we've started using words that was actually meant for God to, expre to, 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 to explain other things. And so we have used words that are meant for other things to explain God. 
God is saying, now I want you to call me my husband. I want you to, to start developing a language that when you speak to me, that it's clear who you're speaking to. And I want you to speak a language that's not borrowed from other culture. In this, ca in this case, ball. That's not borrowed because there's enough godness in God to demand a language of its own. And when you don't have words, that's why we speak in tongues. Because it's a language aimed at God that's not aimed at anyone else. That's the beauty of speaking in tongues. Is that no one else can get the glory but God for what we're saying in that moment because it's led by the Holy Spirit. So I, I just want to encourage you. Go and love with the love of God. Amen. Awesome. Isn't that wonderful? Awesome. He's awesome. <laughs> I uh, welcome Clarence.